Good morning. Welcome again to Morning Devotions, and thank you again for our time together. I'm Pastor Summerall, the pastor of the Cathedral of Praise. And well, we're starting to get back to work. Yesterday was a hard day for transportation. Everybody's complaining, everybody's kawawaing. But you know what, folks? It's time to get back to work. And it's time just to check our attitudes at the door and recognize that many of your companies carried you during all these last three months. And now they ask you to come back to work. So let's be happy for our jobs. Let's recognize that for most of us, our companies have been very gracious to us during these times. And let's get to work in Jesus' name. Let's just let's just check our attitudes. Of course, it's been nice to stay home. Well, during that hottest part of the hot season, maybe not so much. Please, let's move forward in Jesus' name. Let's let's get our country moving again. Let's let's get all the business moving again in Jesus' name. It's so it's difficult to see. You say, Pastor, you just don't understand. You don't commute. You know, you're right. I haven't commuted in a few years. In some ways, commuting used to be easier than taking your own car. Now it's difficult. I understand. But where there's a will, there's a way. And I guess that's a, a little truism. It's not a Bible verse, but a little truism that I've always lived with in my life, that where there's a will, there's a way. If I really want to do something, I can figure out a way to do it. So figure out a way to get to work in Jesus' name. Father. It is difficult right now, very, especially for the commuters, Lord. It is hard, and Lord, we understand that. But Father, transportation is one of those things that we need, and you said that you would meet all of our needs according to your riches and glory through Christ Jesus. We need transportation, Father. We need to have a way to get to work, and Lord, we come and we humbly ask you, we want to work. We want work for there to be, for your ability to bless the work of our hands. We want to work because you've created us to work. You never created us to sit around idle. Lord, I ask in Jesus' name that you give each of our members creative ideas, ways of doing things, ways of solving this transportation problem when all this crazy social distancing is still in place and seats lying wrapped with plastic rather than people sitting in them. Father, these are difficult days to understand and even more difficult days for people to live through. And Father, we recognize that those on the lower end of the economy are suffering far higher, far, far, far worse than those on the upper end of the economy. But Father, in your mercy and in your grace, in your mercy and in your grace, make a way where there is no way. Provide transportation for our people to get back to work. Provide strength in their bodies. Lord, we're all kind of out of shape. We've got to get our stamina back after being locked up for three months. Lord, in Jesus' name, put strength back into our physical bodies. Give us creative ways of doing things and new ideas on how to be at work every day. Father, show us how to do things. That's all we need to know, Father. We're willing to work. Show us how to do things. Show us how to fulfill our responsibilities. Father, in Jesus' name. And Father, for all of our people, we still have about 25% of our people still on no work, no pay. Lord, I ask that you continue to cause all those little businesses they've started to flourish. Father, in the name of Jesus, all those little food businesses, 
the mask businesses, the shield businesses, the PPE businesses, all of the things that you have taught them to do during this time. Cause it to flourish, Lord, in Jesus' name. Cause it to flourish and grow and put food on their table with an abundance left over. Father, we thank you. We come and we ask for very practical things today, Lord. We thank you that you're good. We thank you that your mercy endures forever. We thank you that you are our Father and that you know all the things that we have need of even before we ask. And Lord, we thank you that whatever we ask in Jesus' name, you would do it. We thank you for transportation for our people today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some time in worship.
Psalms 91 has been our foundational faith passage for this entire time. I read it to you every day for probably the first six or seven weeks. Now we've got young people and kids and some of our exemplars. They're all taking turns quoting it for you. Now, I always read it, but they recite it from memory. So now we're going to go to the Meekin family. Psalms 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalk in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand on your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near to your tent. For he commanded his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on a lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I, I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Psalms 91. And I would encourage all of the young people, like Paul encouraged Timothy. They talked about the faith that rested in his grandmother and the faith that rested in his mother. He said, now I'm persuaded lives in you. Young people, the greatest heritage you can receive from a family is not properties and land in the provinces. The greatest inheritance you can receive is that lineage of faith that passes from generation to generation. I want to talk to you for just a minute about a couple of practical things, and then we're going to have our testimony. Uh, many of you are extremely concerned about the education of your kids. Uh, we saw that yesterday the Senate passed a bill that uh, the um, school year can be deferred this year, and President Duterte is talking about uh, no classes until um, uh, there's a vaccine, and they're saying you know, a lot of the schools just aren't set up and ready for uh, internet classes and things like that. Uh, for our members, now this you have to be a member of COP for this, but if you're a part of us at COP, we do have our ABECA, which is a facilitated homeschooling process. We are not a school, but we are a facilitator of a homeschooling process called ABECA. My daughter graduated of it, graduated. Uh, with great honors and offered big scholarships and all kinds of things because of it. It's, it's very intensive. Now, I do not recommend that you transfer kids in high school because the first semester especially is it's a pretty steep learning curve. It's a very advanced course. Even Shasha, when she transferred into it in eighth grade, uh, her first semester, she got a D. Um, and she'd never had D. She'd always been way up there at the top of her class. Now, she graduated with a 4.125 average, which is way up there, but eighth grade was kind of rough because it's a very difficult educational process, okay? The, they're doing college math in 10th grade and things like this, so it's, it is a very advanced curriculum. Uh, several of the universities here in Manila offer full scholarships to our graduates because when you come out, you know, you, you really have an education. Now, that said, 
We do have a transitioning thing set up for the summer. We do this every summer. So children that are coming in, we do a preparatory where we transition them and give them background stuff so that the first semester is not as difficult. Without the transition, it would be brutal. Now, if you're wanting to get your kids enrolled, you need to contact your district pastor right away and say, I want to get my kids enrolled. I want to get information on Abeka. We can have our Abeka people contact you. Now, Abeka works like this. We have Zoom classes. We have uh, the homeschooling all set up. All the books, all the curriculum is all designed. They will actually get uh, a degree from uh, a high school in uh Pensacola, Florida. I mean, they'll actually have an American high school diploma, all right, as if they have graduated from an American school. Now, that said, there are some negatives. It's a little rah-rah America, okay? We have to put in our own pinoyness, uh, which we work pretty hard at. Uh, but we also have to understand that, you know, it, it can be done from home. Usually we have them come to school every day and we have classrooms set up so they do their homeschooling facilitated by teachers to help them. Uh, but right now they can do homeschooling and our teachers can follow them up on Zoom and work with them every day on Zoom until we're able to meet face-to-face -face classrooms. So please, if you want to get involved in that, we're not selling it. Actually, we don't make a profit on it. Uh, but if we can do this to help our members, we will be glad, glad to do so. All of our staff all of our staff are involved in it. So all of our pastoral staff, we do this because it allows us to uh, be off on the same days that our kids are off, okay? So we set it up to help the staff to start with and then members have gotten involved. Uh, the other thing I would talk to you about is now that you're able to get out and about, maybe make one of the first places you go, the house of God. Not the shopping mall, not looking around, not Kumastein friends, but maybe one of the first places you need to go is to go out of our campuses, go to the house of God, spend some time in prayer, thanking God for taking care of you during this time. Our pastors will be there to serve you communion. They're open from 7 a.m. every day until 5 p.m. every night. Uh, we have pastors there serving communion. They'll lead you in prayer. And just spend some time thanking God for what he has done. All right, we've got a great testimony for you. Hi, everyone. My name is Giancarlo Morales, Manap leader and 3 p.m. usher from COP Batangas. Gusto ko lang pong i-share sa inyo yung kabutihan po ng Panginoon na ginawa niya po sa aking pong trabaho. 10,000 workers ang mawawalan po ng trabaho sa aming company. Naramdaman ko po yung kabutihan po ng Panginoon sa aking pong buhay. Sa 10,000 workers po na mawawalan po ng trabaho, hindi po ako nawala ng trabaho. God protected me po sa aking pong workplace. Praise God po. At sabi po sa Psalms 91 verse 7, A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. So, I encourage everyone po, mag-serve din po tayo sa Panginoon at mararamdaman din po natin yung blessings niya at protection niya po sa ating pong buhay. Maraming salamat po. God is good po talaga. Amen. Well, we're in the book of Acts now, Acts chapter 1, beginning with verse 15. In those days. Now, whenever you see verses in the Bible that talk about the next day, the next week, in those days, you need to make sure you understand that in order to completely comprehend the passage, you need to understand the timeline. So when it talks about in those days, what are we talking about? Well, there are 50 days between the death of Jesus and the day of Pentecost. 
We read yesterday that the first 40 days, Jesus gave commands, presented himself alive, taught them regarding the kingdom of God, and ascended. So we have 10 days between the ascension of Jesus and the day of Pentecost. So in those days, in those 10 days, in this 10-day period where they were, as it says in verse 14, in one accord in the upper room, devoting themselves to prayer, okay? In those 10 days when they were devoting themselves to prayer, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all 120. Now, first thing I want you to notice was in those days of prayer, in those 10 days of prayer, between the ascension of Jesus and the day of Pentecost, uh, you see what needs to be done. Hey, we've got an apostle that we have to replace. Okay? And immediately they begin to say, hey, brothers, the scriptures had to be fulfilled, and we begin to talk about the replacement of an apostle. Now, the truth I want you to see is many of you fight with controlling your thoughts when you're praying. I used to do that too, until I figured out, you know what? When I'm praying, God is reminding me of things that need to be done. So rather than fight with it and, you know, command those thoughts to leave my mind, I'm focused on Jesus, I now recognize that in prayer, as I quieten my soul before the Lord and as I open my heart to God, God reminds me of things that need to be done. So they are reminded of something that needs to be done. Now, the other thing I want you to notice is there's over 500 that were at the Ascension, and now there's only 120 left. Why did the other 380 not obey and remain in Jerusalem, like Jesus said? Why did the other 380 disappear? Why were they not there? And, and I look at people today and I realize, how many people miss great moves of God just because they're too busy to take the time God asked them to take? I'll leave that one alone. Brothers, the scriptures had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas. Now, notice, they explained Judas's betrayal from the scriptures. David prophesied it. Who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. So, one of the things you learn about betrayers, betrayers actually reveal your true enemies. See, I don't think Judas was ever a real enemy of Jesus. He betrayed Jesus. But his heart was very conflicted. His heart was mogulo. But he revealed the true haters of Jesus. When people betray me, one of the things I notice is, who do they go hang out with? <laughs> very educational. Who do my betrayers go hang out with? Those are the people that truly hate me. Those are my enemies. Those are the people I need to be careful with who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and allotted his share in this ministry. So he said, hey, Peter was generally given a share of this. He was a full apostle. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness. Yeah, there is a reward for wickedness. Everybody say that, that sin, doesn't, sin doesn't pay anything. That's not true. There is a reward or wickedness. People make money sinning. The reward for his wickedness and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all of his bowels gushed out. Here's a man who committed suicide. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Everybody knew Judas betrayed Jesus and look how he ended up. I mean, you always, it's, it's something about the end of a betrayer that, that just 
everybody knows about. And so that field was called in their own language, Akaldama, that is the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it. And let another take his office. Yeah. All right. The scripture said this would happen. And this is now what the scripture says we must do. The scripture says, let another take his office. So one of the men, so one of the men who have accompanied us during all of the time that the Lord went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to this resurrection. So notice, there's a lot more than 12 people that walked with Jesus every day. A lot more than 12 people. So we're at least dealing with the 70 here now, okay? So you have to understand this. This term disciple is a very big word. It's not just referring to the 12. It's a very big word. So they looked around, and they put forward two. Joseph, also called Barsabbas, who is also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, you know the hearts of all. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take place take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place, all right? Judas walked away from his office of ministry. Now, who's going to take this office of ministry? And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell to Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. Now, a couple of things I want you to notice. They cast lots. Pastor, why don't we cast lots today? Because the Holy Spirit has now been poured out. Before this, the Holy Spirit had not been poured out. The Holy Spirit leads us. The Holy Spirit guides us. Before that, they cast lots. Chapter 2, verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, that 120 still in the upper room. And suddenly there came from heaven, I like that word, suddenly, the move of God, suddenly. <laughs> and suddenly, that came from heaven like the sound of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. So this was a physical manifestation. It filled, this sound filled the house. And tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. So it's like a pillar of fire came down and then separated onto 120 heads. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So, all right, when you, they got filled with the Holy Spirit, the evidence of that filling of the Holy Spirit was they spoke in other tongues. Speaking in other tongues is the initial physical evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And notice, the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. This was not something they learned. I, I remember back in 1980, uh, I, no, I was not even the pastor of COP then. I was just doing Bible studies and things in the old Life of the Spirit movement here in Manila. And I was sitting there, and this lady guest speaker had come in, and she was teaching everybody to speak in tongues. And she started telling them, repeat after me, la, 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 ba, 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 la, ba, ba, ma, la, ma, ma, la, la, ba, ba, ba. And everybody started doing this, and I said, excuse me, <laughs> the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. These are words given by the Holy Spirit. Yes, it is your physical voice and vocal cords and lung capacity that is used, 
but the Holy Spirit gives you the language. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation. Now, these are very sincere people. These aren't flaky people, devout men from every nation. These Jews have been dispersed all over the world, and now they'd come home. This was a high feast day. If you were to be in Israel, and I have never been in Israel during high feast days, like on the day of Pentecost, because they say it is just jammed, crowded, because to this day, Jewish people from all over the world come home for the high feast days. Devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language, and they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? Are they not Provencianos? You know, they're not from the sophisticated city of Jerusalem. They're, they're from the province. They're fishermen. They're, they're simple people. Are not they also these speaking Galileans? How is it that we each hear, that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Ferga, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Now notice, their own tongues. You say, well, pastor, why doesn't this happen today? It does. On that day, everybody from all over the world happened to be there for a high feast day, so this was very easy to prove. I've sat there and listened to a guy who just showed up in our nation for the first time back in 1980, and he was praying in tongues, and he was praying in perfect Bulacan Tagalog. And I, at the time, was going to classes to study it. And I said, when did you learn Tagalog? He said, what are you talking about? What's he called it Tagalog. He said, what's Tagalog? I said, Tagalog. He said, yeah, yeah, whatever. He said, what's that? I said, that's our language. I said, you're, you're speaking in our language. Now, I want you to remember, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1, that when we speak in tongues, we speak in the tongues of men and of angels. There will be times that people will understand the words that we speak. We'll be speaking some obscure dialect of something, and somebody will recognize it. Tongues of men, all the tongues of men, long dead languages, as well as current languages, and tongues of angels. Now, this is what, another reason I, I smile at people when they say, why don't these things happen today? They do happen today. It's just harder because, you know, there's not all these different people from all these different places of the world where it happens. Now, the other thing I would tell you is, notice Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, 1, tongues of men and of angels. When people say the devil doesn't understand tongues, so pray in tongues, yes, he does. He was an angel. The tongues of men and the tongues of angels. And they were all amazed, verse 12, and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? And notice, when they were speaking in tongues, it was worship. They were speaking of the mighty works of God. It was words of worship. They didn't know what they were saying, but it was words of worship. And they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking them said, they are filled with new wine. He said, hey, these people are a bunch of drunks. Now, Peter stands up the next day and says, hey, no, that's not true. But some people just cannot fathom the supernatural. They've always got to criticize. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship. 
First Kings today, chapter 8, beginning with verse 22. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord. Now, this is at the dedication of the temple. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands toward heaven. He lifted his hands toward heaven. And people say, why do people pray like that? Well, it's a perfectly biblical way to pray. Some of you just need to learn to stand and pray with your hands 
spread out toward heaven. This is a, a physical expression that we do as we pray. You stand and you lift your hands toward heaven. He stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands toward heaven and said, O Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth beneath, keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart. Did you hear that? When you walk before God with all your heart, he shows steadfast love to you. I, I, just, I just love that verse. Who have kept, your serv- kept with your servant David, my father, what you declared to him. You spoke with your mouth and with your hand have fulfilled it this day. Now, therefore, O Lord, God of Israel, Keep for your servant David, my father, what you have promised him, saying, You shall not like a man to sit before me on the throne of Israel if... And sometimes you have to remember there are promises with conditions. And many Christians don't want to deal with that. They, they, they never want to deal with this idea that there are some conditions on the promises. If only your sons pay close attention to their way, to walk before me as you have walked before me. Now, therefore, O God of Israel, let your word be confirmed, which you have spoken to your servant David, my father. Now, let me come back to that conditional promise one more time. It will shock you how many promises in the Bible have either direct or implied conditions on them. And we come to God and say, God, why didn't you fulfill your promise? And God will say, why didn't you keep the condition? I think maybe one of the most obvious is when I was a young man growing up and preaching in little churches across the bottom of Mississippi and Alabama and Louisiana, I would often hear people pray this prayer at the offering. Lord, bless those who give and bless those who do not give. And you know what? As a young pastor, I just started praying the same thing that I'd always heard people pray. And then it hit me one day, excuse me, Jesus said, give, and it will be given unto you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Yeah. There is blessing that flows to the generous heart. So sometimes you have to remember there are either implied conditions or there are direct conditions on promises. And if we want God to keep his word, we have to fulfill the conditions. No, Pastor Summerall, we live by grace. Yes, of course we live by grace. So did these people. I'll leave that one alone. Verse 27. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. <laughs> How much less this house that I have built. Yet have regard to the prayer of your servant and his plea. O Lord my God, listening to the cry and to the prayer that your servant prays before you this day, that your eyes may be open night and day toward this house, the place of which you have said, my name shall be there, that you may listen to the prayer that your servant offers toward this place, and listen to the plea of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place, and listen in heaven, your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. Now, he begins a series of seven different requests. So as I read each one, I'll say number one, number two, and I, I put a little number next to them in my Bible. 
first request. If a man sins against his neighbor and is made to take an oath and comes and swears his oath before your altar in this place, then hear in heaven and act and judge your servants, condemning the guilty by bringing his conduct on his own head and vindicating the, the righteous by rewarding him according to his righteousness. Number two, when your enemy Israel, or excuse me, when your people Israel are defeated before the enemy because they have sinned against you. So notice, sin brings consequences because they have sinned against you. And if they turn again to you and acknowledge your name and pray and plead with you in this house, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring them again to the land that you gave to their fathers. Number three, when the heaven is shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against you, again, sin has consequences. If they pray toward this place and acknowledge your name and turn from their sin when you afflict them, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel, when you teach them the good way in which they should walk and grant rain upon the land with which you have given to your people as an inheritance. Now notice, notice the uniqueness of this passage of prayer. When people repent, hear, forgive, teach. Hear, forgive, teach. When people repent, God hears, God forgives, and God teaches. Now, you just need to stop and get a revelation of that. God doesn't just yell at us, you've done wrong. God teaches us how to do right. So when we repent, he said, hear, forgive, teach. Verse 37. This is number four. If there is famine in the land, if there is pestilence or blight or mildew or locust or caterpillar, have you seen the huge locust swarms coming across Africa right now? It's causing a huge famine. Or locust or caterpillar. If their enemy besieges them in the land at their gates, whatever plague, whatever sickness there is, Whatever prayer, whatever plea is made by any man or by all your people Israel, each knowing the affliction of his own heart and stretching out his hands toward this house, then hear in heaven your dwelling place. Forgive and act and render to each heart you know according to all his ways. For you, you only, know the hearts of all the children of mankind, that they may fear you all the days that they live in the land that you gave to our forefathers. Number five, likewise, when a foreigner who is not of your people Israel comes from a far country for your namesake, for they shall hear of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm, when he comes and prays toward this house, hear in heaven your dwelling place and do according to all which the foreigner calls to you in order that all the peoples of the earth may know that your name and fear you as do your people Israel, and that they may know that this house that I have built is called by your name. Now, there's lots of verses I read when I get down to the Western Wall about how God will always hear the prayers, and we'll get into those later. But this is one of the passages I like to read when I first get down to the Western Wall. I sometimes come there and sit and say, God, I'm here like one of those foreigners, and I've come from that faraway land of the Philistines, and I've come here for your namesake. And I brought you all of these tens of thousands of prayer requests. 
These are all prayers of your people, Lord. And you promised that whenever we would come, your eye would always be open and your ear would always be attentive to the prayers played in this, prayed in this place. That's a prayer that comes out of my heart every year when I go to the Western Wall. But I always start with this passage. Number six, if your people go out to battle against their enemy, by whatever way you shall send them, and they pray to the Lord toward the city you have chosen and the house that I have built for your name, then hear in heaven their plea, their prayer and their plea, and maintain their cause. Number seven, if they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you are angry with them, and give them to the, an enemy so that they are carried away captive to the land of their enemy, far off or near. Yet if they turn their heart in the land to which they have been carried captive and repent and plead with you in the land of their captors, saying, We have sinned and acted perversely and wickedly. If they repent with all their mind, with all their heart, now, there's real repentance. Real repentance is not crying crocodile tears and getting people's pity and sympathy. Real repentance is with all their mind and with all the heart. That's real repentance. So you need to write that in the column next to that. Real repentance. If they repent with all their mind and with all their heart in the land of their enemies who carried them captive, and pray to you toward their land with which you gave their fathers, the city that you have chosen, and the house that I have built for your name, then hear in heaven your dwelling place, their plea, their prayer and their plea, and maintain their cause, and forgive your people who have sinned against you, and all their transgressions that they have committed against you, and grant them compassion in the sight of those who carry them captive, that they may have compassion on them, for they are your people and your heritage, which you brought out of Egypt from the, from the midst of the iron furnace. Let your eyes be open to the plea of your servant and to the plea of your people Israel, giving ear to them whenever they call to you. For you separated them from among all the peoples of the earth to be your heritage, as you declared through Moses your servant when you brought our fathers out of Egypt, O Lord God. Verse 54. Now that prayer ends. Now verse 54. Now as Solomon finished offering all this prayer and plea to the Lord, he arose from before the altar where he had knelt. Now he was not standing. During this prayer, he had begun to kneel. At some point during the prayer, he knelt with his hands outstretched toward heaven. And he stood and blessed all the assembly of Israel with a loud voice saying, Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he promised. Not one word has failed of all his good promise. I like that. Not one word has failed of all his good promise, which he spoke by Moses, his servant. The Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. May he not leave us or forsake us, that he may incline our hearts to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments, his statutes, and his rules, which he commanded our fathers. Now notice, God's presence inclines our hearts. God's presence is what causes us to lean our hearts toward obedience. Let these words of mine, with which I have pleaded toward the Lord, be near to the Lord our God day and night, and may he maintain the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel as each day requires, that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God. There is no other. 
Let your heart, therefore, be wholly true to the Lord our God. Did you hear that? Let your heart, therefore, be wholly, not partially, be wholly true to the Lord our God, walking in his statutes and keeping his commands to this day. Verse 62. Then the king and all Israel with him offered sacrifice before the Lord. Solomon offered as a peace offering to the Lord 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep. So the king and all the people of Israel dedicated the house of the Lord. The same day the king consecrated the middle of the court that was before the house of the Lord. For there he offered the burnt offerings and the grain offerings and the fat pieces for the peace offerings because the bronze altar that was before the Lord was too small to receive the burnt offerings and the grain offerings and the fat pieces of the burnt offerings. So Solomon held the, great, held the feast at that time and all Israel with him. A great assembly from Nebuchadnezzar to the brook of Egypt before the Lord our God seven days. On the eighth day, he sent the people away and they blessed the king and went to their houses with joyful and glad of heart for all the goodness that the Lord had shown to David, his servant, and to Israel, his people. Now notice, not all the goodness God had shown to Solomon. All the goodness God had shown to David, who's dead now for a long time, to David, his servant, and to Israel, his people. God is still showing goodness to David in the land of the living, doing things for the sake of his servant David in the land of the living years after his death. That's amazing. May you and I live such a life that after we leave this earth and enter into our rest in heaven, that God is still doing things for the sake of his servant. All right, we'll see you tonight, 7 o'clock.